Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. We are asking God for the transmission of this Spirit into our spirit that the world will become effectual. In delivering us and setting us free from every form of bondage, corruption, and delivering to us once again, Father of glory, the victory that you guaranteed in your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So Wednesday we started a series. The Lord shared with us sitting on the priesthood, sitting priesthood, and we're going to start. And this is part number two. We're going to continue with that. The certain priesthood. I try to make us understand that the Bible made us understand that we all have believed that as well. That we are a royal priesthood and there's no doubt about it. All of us are royal people. And uh, but we find that from our study last week the Lord was sharing with us and making us understand that the present order of priesthood that we are operating in we are prayed from the point of victory, the vantage point of victory, because we sit in as all that needs to be done is done. So we just enforce our victory in every aspect of our life. Again, we start by reading First Peter chapter two, verse nineteen. I mean, verse nine, and it tells us, "But you are a royal priesthood, or a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people." That ye should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm saying Second Peter 2 verse 9. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. 1 Peter 2 verse number 9. The Bible calls our royal priesthood. And I want you to understand where this is taken from. I tried to explain that on Wednesday. Uh, this is referring to a community of people. Uh, individually, yes, but this is actually talking about a community of people, not just individual, but every one of us, because of the real priesthood. Now, this is actually taken from Exodus 19, verse number 4. Number 4, up to 6. Exodus 19. There is something I want to show you here. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, I brought you unto myself. And this is very important. That is why you see Jesus speaking about, I'll take you to myself in the book of John chapter 14. He said, I'll take you to myself. He didn't say, take you to a place. When God brought Israel from the wilderness, I mean from Egypt, he brought them to himself, not to a location. And that is what Jesus was repeating in John 14. I will take you, I will come again, I will take you to myself, not a location. So God took Israel to himself. Jesus is taking the church to himself. Are you following that? Good. Then verse 5 says, Now therefore, if ye be obey my voice indeed, and keep my commandment, then it shall be peculiar treasure unto me, above all people, for all the earth is mine. And it shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now what I want you to pick there is 
You shall be a kingdom of priests. This is where the scripture is talking about. You are kings and priests. So actually it's talking about a kingdom of priests. They're together. So Israel was a kingdom of priests when they brought them out. Meaning every one of them was a priest. But like I explained last week, it's important you get the point right. Even though it was a kingdom of priests, a holy priesthood if you will, a holy nation if you will, there were still Levites in the midst of the priesthood. Did you get that? Praise God. And there are something very unique you need to understand about this, which is very, very peculiar. Jesus said the same thing. You see, when God brought them out and he was speaking to them on the mountain, you remember it was Israel that said, speak to Moses and let him talk to us. And God said, okay, fine. That which is spoken, I am going to do just that. I will talk to Moses, Moses will talk to you. But you see, the problem was God intended everyone to hear him. But Israel requested not to hear him. So God had to turn over to Moses to be able to talk to them. By implication, it's not just a kingdom of priests alone, it's a kingdom of prophetic people. Are you with me? Meaning, everyone in Israel was mandated to do what? To hear God. And so when Jesus spoke about that, he said, My sheep do what? Hear my voice. They know me, and I know them. And the voice of stranger they will not follow. So the primary thing you receive when you become a child of God, in this context, as the priest of God, is that you can hear God. As a matter of fact, you can't function as a priest without actually hearing God. Praise the Lord. So it's imperative you understand the implication of what we're talking about. That God has brought you to such an advantageous position that you can hear him because you are a priest. Because you belong to the community of priesthood. By implication, the church was supposed to hear God and make manifest God's intention to the rest of the people. This is the main call that God uses the church to speak to the rest of mankind. So go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 5. Hallelujah. I'm just laying the foundation again for us to understand what we're dealing with. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. Behold, I've taught you status and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that they should do so in the land without the goal to possess it. Keep your fan, do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. Hallelujah. This is what? Your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear of this status and say, surely, this great nation is a wiser one, understanding people. For what nation is there so great? What God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. God is so near. Hallelujah. Why is he so near? He gave you his mind. He gave you his commandment. He gave you his laws. But guess what? 
This is what he did with the Old Testament people. But in the New Testament, remember in the book of Exodus, when God gave all the commandment, people say, Oh yes, we will do. Is that okay? And that is a marriage relationship. That is why when you come to marriage, say, I do, I do. That is marriage. What happened is, among Sinai, God married Israel as a bride. But in the New Testament, God did not ask you a question. He took the I do himself and decided to do what he wants to do. Why? Because he knows you will always fail even when you say, I do. Did you get it? So God did not consult you when it comes to the New Testament. And that's the same thing you find he did with Abraham. For him to enter into the covenant, which actually is the covenant we are praying in, he made Abraham to sleep. Genesis 15. How many of you remember that? Abraham to sleep. The Bible says deep sleep fell upon Abraham. That is where he entered into a covenant with Abraham. He removed man from the picture because man will always fail. And so in our covenant that we operate with God, God is not consulting you to say yes or no. He has to take it upon himself to imitable things by which God cannot lie. Are you getting that? Good. Praise the living God. Knowing that you always fail, he decided to take it upon himself to enact the covenant without consulting you. So here is what we say here. The Bible is telling us now, the children of Israel are going to be a wise community of people. What is the wisdom? The word of God. So who is a wise man? He who keeps the word. He who lives by the word. He who walks by the word. He is a wise man. Praise the Lord. Are we see here? Good. Now I'm giving you the foundation as to why you become a real priesthood. So that you can understand. Now go with us now to Psalm 101, I mean 110, 110, verse number 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thy enemies thy footstool. The Lord said unto my Lord, We're going to talk in the book of Acts chapter 2. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit on my right hand, until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Verse 2 says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. Hallelujah. Let's take it from a simple translation. Whichever one you want. Verse number two. You are fought. Now this is going to be too strong as well. Go to maybe NLT. Or maybe Amplify. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. Can I hear an amen? Now Jerusalem speaks of the church. You've come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Where is he extending his rule from? From Jerusalem. What makes up Jerusalem? The people of God. You and I. And so the Bible is saying, when he said he's going to make your enemy your fool's tool, through what dimension? He's coming from the church. You and I are the one that extended the kingdom of God and bringing all enemies where? On the feet. I told you on Wednesday. 
you are not permitted to allow any enemy to ride over your head. As long as you are sitting together with Christ, it's not permitted. God wants to extend this powerful kingdom from the church. That is you and I. If God is going to rule the world, it's going to be through the church. The saints of God. Hallelujah. I like this translation. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. And I say the same to you. You will rule over your enemies. Look at verse 3. The people shall be willing. I'll go back to the new, I mean, simpler translation. NLT. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments, and your strength will be renewed each day like the money due. Hallelujah. This is part of rulership. That is to say, come on here. Even your strength is not meant to be abated. Just like his strength was not meant to be abated. You are ruling in his stead. Therefore, all that he has, all that was supposed to be you becoming. As he is, so are we in this world. Are you following me? Praise the Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies what? Your first too. Glory to God. I say glory to God. Now, let's begin to look at it from the perspective of sitting and ruling as compared to the Old Testament. Again, let's go to the book of Numbers 28 verse number 3. King James. Numbers 28 verse number 3. Thank you, Father. The Bible says, And thou shalt say unto them, This is a offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto the Lord. Two lambs of the first year, which are spoiled by day by day, for a continual burnt offering, daily sacrifices, continual sacrifices. You keep on offering the animals. And that's what I told you last week. It was not possible for the priest to sit down any moment because he continued to offer what? The sacrifices. Verse 4. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning <laughs> and the other lamb thou shalt offer away at evening. Praise God. Continuous sacrifices. Continuous offering of sacrifices. Morning and evening. No time to sit down. No time. Look at, look at what happened in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 13. Powerful scripture. This when Solomon dedicating the temple. Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 13 and 14. Bible says, It came even to pass how the trumpeters and singers were as one. And this is very important. The trumpeters, the singers, they were at one. I needed to understand those of you in the music ministry to understand how that 
in unison of spirit, you can bring down the glory of God. Amen. The Bible says, they make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voices with the trumpet and cymbals and instrument of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. But then the house was filled with what? With a cloud, even the house of the Lord. There's a time of dedication. They were singing, just singing alone. They brought down the glory of God. That's why you have to understand that your song is more than just entertaining people. You touch the throne of God. You bring down the glory of God. You cause people to get impacted and touched by the power of God through your songs. Music is not just for entertainment. Your songs is not just for entertainment or trying to sing what is in vogue. No, no, no. When you do music, when you do your choir presentation, get this at the back of your mind. You're bringing down what? The glory of God. The people must enter into the presence of God in a new dimension anytime you're ministering or presenting a song. That is what it really means to be in choir or whatever the case may be. You bring it down, God's glory. Praise God, somebody. Look at verse number 14. The glory was so much so that the priest could not stand to do what? To minister. By reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord has filled what? The house of God. It was difficult. By implication, the presence of God was so much that the priest could not stand. They lose their posture. They lose their composition because of the glory of God. What brought that? The trumpeters, the singers, the voice of the choristers. They brought down so much glory that the priests who were supposed to be standing to minister could not stand. So I don't know how they were doing it now because it was not difficult for them to stand. How many of you understand what it means when, I mean, talking about the force of gravity, you go out, you understand that? You begin to stagger. It becomes difficult. They were staggering by reason of the glory of God. And this thing was brought by reason of the choir ministration. They brought so much glory that the priest could not stand. In other words, they lose their position. They lose their stability. They were like people who were drunk. And you know what a drunkard looks like when it's filled with with drink, with alcohol. They just were staggering. They could not minister by reason of the glory that came down at the dedication of the temple. But the point I'm raising for you here is this. The priests were always standing and ministering. Praise God somebody. So now go with me to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11. Oh glory. And every priest standing daily ministering. Did you get that? Number 28, daily ministration, morning and evening. Is that okay? Every priest stand at daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but this man, this one man called Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. On the right hand of God. For here's what they're expecting. 
his enemies be made what? His foes too. Praise the living God. Get together. I try to explain to you. The reason it's all down was because there is no more sacrifice to be offered. Everything is finished. Praise God. And this sacrifice, take it from the Amplified Translation. Amplified Translation. We said that last week and it's very powerful. I mean on Wednesday. Look at that. To wait that until, no, 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 go back again. Okay, right. Wherefore, this one Christ, after he offered a single sacrifice for all our sins, for our sins, that shall avail for all time, sat down at the right hand of, of God. Avail for all time, from the very beginning. Think about when he went to the cross. Right from there till the next generation, to your generation, till all your great-grandchildren, one sacrifice covered them all. There can never be any other sacrifice that can be offered by anybody that can be acceptable to God or by God. One sacrifice for all. So now, since there was no more sacrifice, what's the next thing for him to do? Is to sit down. Did you get that? This is why Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. So go on. Hebrews chapter 1 verse number 1. He sat down right on God because no more sacrifices to be offered. His function as a priest is over in terms of offering sacrifices. The only thing he does now is to intercede. By way of intersection. But not to offer any more sacrifice. You can't crucify him a second time. Praise God somebody. Hebrews 1 verse 1. Bible says God who has hundred times and in diverse manners speaking type past under the father by the prophet and in this last day spoken unto us by his son whom he had appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upon all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hallelujah. When what by himself does what purge, purge, I need it together. Purge our sins. It's not going to, he did it and it's over. Praise the living God. Now let me show you how powerful the word purge is. Take it from Isaiah 6, verse 5. Remember when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, the Bible said the smoke filled the temple. What smoke was that? That was just talking about the glory of Christ that filled the temple. Is that okay? And he shouted, I'm a man of a clean lips, and I live in the midst of a clean people. Praise God. And then the Bible said, verse number 5, Isaiah 6, 5. Then said, I worry me, for I'm undone because I'm a man of a clean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of a clean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Verse number six. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live cold in his hand, which he had taken with his tongues from the altar. Verse seven. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, these are told their lips and thy iniquity is taken away. 
and thy sin what purged. They together. What does it mean, purge? The word purge is actually the word cover. Cover means to cover, specifically with bitumen. That is exactly what Noah used to cover his ark. It's a protection. It means to expitiate or to condone, cover. It means to placate or to cancel. Your sins are canceled. Your sins are taken away. Hallelujah. He purged our sin by himself. And Isaiah is explaining what it means to have your sin purged. It means to have it taken away. It means to appease. It means to atone. It means to cleanse. It means to disannul. It means to forgive. Oh, glory. It means to be merciful. It means to pacify. It means to pardon. It means to part, to take away, to put off, to cut off, to reconcile. It means reconciliation. Hallelujah. So when he said in Hebrews 1 verse 3, he purged our sins. It means he reconciled us to God. He means our sins were forgiven. He means he pardoned us. He means he cleans us out. Oh glory. Hallelujah. Are you following me? There is nothing hanging on you. There is no debt for you to pay. Praise God somebody. No man requiring anything from you. You are a free person. You are not indebted to anybody. You are not a slave to anybody. Your bent grandfather did not owe any debt for you to pay. You are free. Hallelujah. Are we still here? So go with me to Colossians now. Chapter 2 verse 13. You can take it from any other translation. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. You were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet caught away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all what? All our sins. All, not some. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. I would like us to take it from the message translation. Go to message translation. Praise God. Message translation. They said, when you were stuck in your old sin dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. Now, this is why I keep explaining to you. You did not find God. God found you. Because you were incapable to respond to God. You see, when we say, when I gave my life to God, <laughs> you couldn't have been able to give your life to God except he called you. He gave you the ability to respond to his call. In your old life, you don't have the power to respond to God. You were dead. That is why you take your salvation seriously. And I appreciate who God is. 
in relation to calling you to himself. Because the man in the street is dead. He can't respond to God. So you have responded to God. It's a privilege that God found you in the midst of all people and made you to respond to him. This is why Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father draws him. Are you getting that? Good. Then he said, God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it all. Sins forgiven. Brought you alive right along with Christ. That means when he rose, you were raised from the dead. You have to believe that you were with him when he died. You have to believe that when you rose, when he rose, you rose with him. You've got to believe that. Praise the living God. Look at the next thing. Verse 14. The slate white clean. Can I hear an amen? That all the rest weren't cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. The slate is wiped clean. How I many of you understand what this slate really is? Tabula rasa. Your brain, everything has to go out. Nothing is taught there. Everything that was against you, everything that even man wrote against you, everything that the enemy planned against you, everything that you carried from your grandfather, everything was cancelled and the slave was right clean. You have no sin hanging on your neck. That is why you cannot suffer for what your parents suffered. That is why I don't believe in generational causes. Because every sin of your father that was on you was wiped out. The Bible said the slain is wiped clean. Hallelujah. Are you sitting there with me? Praise God. The slain is wiped clean. There is nothing hanging on you. Therefore let no man. So go with me now to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. I'm still trying to make you see why Jesus is sitting down. Nothing again to do. He has to sit down as a priest. And I'm saying you are sitting together with him in heavenly places. And I'm expecting you to bring all your enemies where? Under your feet. And I'm saying when you are doing that, it's not by sweating, it's by speaking. For the words of a king are powerful. King doesn't have to. How many of you understand? Oh, King Herod, go kill all the children. And that was it. He doesn't have to sweat for all the children to be killed when he was trying to look at Jesus. You understand that? Hebrews 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the other or the second. Remember, I'm dealing with the priesthood of Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek is sitting down now. Is that okay? Right. And the Bible is saying the first covenant there was fault in it. It has fault. Glory to God. Let me not have time to explain all of that. Verse number 8. It said, For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, say the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is now the whole of Israel put together. Right? Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. 
Because they could not or they continue not in my covenant. They continue not. They were not able to continue. They were not able to keep the laws. That is why you can't keep the laws to please God. Hallelujah. Because they continue not. And I regarded them not, see the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, say the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind, I write them where? In their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me what? A people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to what? To the greatest. Four, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquity will not remember no more. Praise God. I will be merciful to their righteousness. And their sins and their iniquity will not remember no more. This is the new covenant that I'm making. And somebody comes around and begins to tell you about the sins of your fathers. They begin to tell you about the sins of your community people. And God said, I can't remember any of those things. And somebody is forcing you to remember. If I try to tell God, you must remember. And that's how they make money out of you. Because you have no understanding of your new identity in Christ. And I said, we go to your community. Oh, we go to your village. You remember that? Have you had things like that? Yeah, let's go to your village. And so there's an altar. There is an altar. There is, there is a pot under one tree. Your great-grandfather buried the poor there. That is nonsense. The Bible says your sins and your iniquity will not remember no more. That is a New Testament order. Remember, he wiped out all these slates. How many of you remember that? Glory to God. I say glory to God. Don't forget Psalm 1 1. We to read 110 verse number 12. It tells us that the expansion of the kingdom is coming through the church, which has to do with the saints. Hallelujah. You are empowered to expand the kingdom, to cause things to work out for God on the face of the earth. Let me tell you something. God is depending on you. God is depending on you. If you're wondering why I'm saying that, that is the truth. If anybody wants to see God, you got to see God through you. If anybody wants to experience the love of God, it's going to be through you. Look at what the scripture says. Give, I give. He said, give and shall be given unto you. Good measure, praise and shake him together. Shall God cause men to give unto your bosom. It's going to be men to give it. Not angels, men. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you want the love of God? It's going to be expressed through men. Praise God. Jesus speaking to the, to the disciples and said, To whose sins you retain, it shall be retained. To whose sins you forgive, it shall be forgiven them. Have you read that? The book of John. That's how powerful the church is at this moment. 
Praise God. I'm telling you, Jesus is sitting down and you're sitting with him and all that you need to do at this hour is to expand the kingdom by subduing all enemies where? Under your feet. Let me now, I promise I'm going to talk to you in five minutes or so on why Jesus was standing. Remember that? Go with me to Acts chapter 7 verse 54. This is when Stephen was being stoned to death. When he had these things, because Stephen now recounted how stiff naked he had been as a people right from Egypt when God picked them up. Bible said when they had these things, they were called to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. The Bible said, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. I thought he was sitting down. Why is he standing now? Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Verse 56. And said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. When they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. That's when he stoned him to death. Why is Jesus standing? Is the next question. We already told everything is finished. He sat down. But here in Acts chapter 7, Jesus is standing up. Why is he standing? For what purpose? Remember, he was a royal priest already. And something is very significant. I'm going to show you from scriptures. When all your people stand up, even maybe the president of a country, or the king in the palace, or the soldiers of the king, when they stand up, they are for two major reasons. If not three, but I'm going to make you see. Is either the person they are standing for is being honored, or is standing to pass judgment on the people. Take with me 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 3. 1 Samuel 20 verse 3. Let's look at that. Did I say verse 3 or verse 34? Let me see what I have to say there. Go with me 1 Samuel. Look at that. Look at verse 34. Let me see if that's what I'm looking for. 1 Samuel 3, chapter 3, I said. Chapter 3. Oh, I'm sorry. Chapter 20. All right. Chapter 20. First Samuel 20. Okay. Uh, if you look at this, verse 3. And David swore, moreover, this relation between David and Jonathan. And said, Thy father suddenly knew that I have found grace. In the eyes, and he said, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as our soul liveth, there is but a stab between me and death. Go to verse 34. Let me see if that's what I'm looking for precisely as well. So Jonathan arose from the table. It's a royal person. Now, here is a discussion. Between Jonathan and his father, Saul. And his father was discussing 
And as a matter of fact, Jonathan began to understand what his father wanted to do. He stood from the table. He arose. Are you there with me? Remember, he's a royal person. He got up out of anger. So, for a royal person to stand up, he's either he's honoring somebody or he's getting angry at somebody. Are you following what I'm talking about? All right. Go with me to the book of what am I going to use here? Look at Jonah. If you look at the book of Jonah, chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3, verse 4 to 10, we may not have time to read all of that. If you read the story down, you find that after Jonah made the proclamation at Nineveh, the Bible said the king arose. Amen. He stood up. And that's when he calls the people to go into a fast. Something always triggered the royal man to stand up. Is what I'm trying to make you see. Are you there with me? Okay. If you look at Second King 23, 1 to 3. Look at that. Second Kings 23, 1 to 3. And the king sent... And they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the Lord went up, I mean the king went up into the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him. And the priests and the prophets and all the people both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. What's the next thing? And the king stood by a pillar. I made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandment and a testimony and his status with all their heart and all their heart soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book and all the people stood toward to the covenant and honor. Yeah, they stand to honor God. Are you following what I'm talking about? Okay. I'm just giving you a background so that I begin to understand. Now, go into Acts chapter 5. Let me 7 verse 57 to 60 again. Jesus standing up now, like we read before. What is the meaning of that when Jesus stood up? Number one, he stood up because he was angry with those who were stoning Stephen to death. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? When he stood up, it was because he was angry. Out of that anger, he stood from his seat. And because now, he is actually intended to pass judgment on the people. And that is why when the people heard, when he said, I saw him standing up, they were afraid, they were worried. By implication, when they said, don't say this anymore. Because it's like saying, he's about to pass judgment upon us. And this is what happened to Jerusalem in AD 70, if you will. Again, when you look at the whole of that, Acts 7, 1 to 53, you can also see that Jesus stood up in honor and respect for Stephen as the first martyr, the first person to be killed. He stood up to honor him. So one of the reasons Jesus had to stand up was to honor Stephen. 
I can I tell you something? Jesus can stand up for your sake. You didn't get what I said. Hallelujah. Let me show you another thing why Jesus have to stand up. Mark chapter 14, 56 to 59. The book of Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, 56 to 59. For many bear false witness against them, but our witnesses agreed not together. The next thing. And there are all certain and bear false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And three days, I'll build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. Now, one of the things you find in the court of judgment for a witness to be able to do anything, he has to stand up. Hallelujah. And if you take time to read scripture, Jesus made a statement and he said, in Matthew chapter 10, 32 to 33, let's just read that. Matthew 10, 33. Wherefore, brethren, I mean, where, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, he will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. The next part. But whosoever shall deny me before men, he will I also deny before my Father, which what? Which is in heaven. So what's the next thing you find there? Jesus stood up as a witness to testify before the Father who Stephen really was. Praise the living God. I'm trying to make you understand why Jesus have to do what? Stand up. He stood up to give testimony. To say, this one is righteous. This one is my witness. I can testify. So it's like he was in in the court of law and testifying on behalf of who? On behalf of Stephen. As to who Stephen was. Praise the living God. So here we find that Jesus is standing up to bear witness about Stephen, about all that Stephen stands for, about the level of life that Stephen had lived, about the fact that he had been a witness of Jesus and that Jesus is a witness of him. My question for you is this. Can Jesus stand up because of you? Praise the living God. How are you spending your life? How are you living your life? What testimony do you have that will make Jesus to stand up because of you? He said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. Now the time has come. Stephen has confessed Jesus. Jesus has to stand up to confess him before the Father. That of the truth, he is a true believer. Are you following what I'm talking about? Remember, Jesus is sitting down. But now he's doing what? He's standing up because of an individual. Because of the work of an individual. Because of the faith of an individual. And this is what I have to make you understand. That no matter who, no matter what, no matter whatever enemies anybody want to point out to you, Jesus can stand on your behalf and make a declaration in heaven. He can release angels. He can take charge of that individual God, because of who you are. He stood up to crush the enemies of Stephen, even though they killed him, but he was angry with them. Jesus can be angry for your sake. Praise the living God, somebody. Are you following what I'm talking about? I mean, you need to read the book and get a clear understanding. And, and this night the Lord was ministering to me when, 
In fact, it's like I was playing the whole of this message to myself. I don't understand what happened. And the point he gave to me, and he said, listen to this. Let the people know this. In the book of Luke, time and all that for us to read it. The Bible says, he gave them power. Go preach the kingdom of God. Cast out devils. How many of you remember that? Hear the sick. Whatever house you enter, anything they provide, eat freely. For the worker deserves his wages. And what's the next thing that happened? By the time they went and they came back and they said, even the devil was subject unto us. How many of you understand that? Good. That's enemy being brought where? On the feet. But he made a statement. He said, I gave you power over serpent and scorpion. So what's the meaning? They already have power. They've already gone out. They've cast out devil. They've healed the sick. With power was it given to them? Over serpent and scorpion. What are serpent and scorpion? Serpent are deceptive people. Scorpion, they will sting your feet. What are you trying to say? I won't allow you to be deceived from this message that I'm giving to you. Did you get that? Serpent are deceptives. In other words, be wary of the message of the Pharisees. John told them, you brood of vipers. How many of you remember that? Who has warned you to come for baptism. So, don't let anybody take your mind away from what you are hearing. I gave you power over serpents. And anything that will make you stumble in your faith, anything that will make you stumble in that which you believe, I gave you power over it. You got to understand that. You already have power. They already cast a devil here, they sick. I mean, all of those things have been done. Which power was it given to them again? And for what? Did you get that? Say, now that you have received this kind of energy, now that you are the one pushing the kingdom of God, now that you are bringing all enemies on the field, don't let any man take your mind away from that. Don't let any man preach you out of this understanding. Don't let any man deceive you from this faith. Stand on what you believe. Bring enemies on the field. Expand the kingdom of God. Praise God, somebody. And I say, there's a rejoicing for some of you. Because the victory you've been looking for is just right about the corner. God is giving you all the victory. We're sitting together with him. The authority is ours right now. It's not in the hands of an enemy. The authority is in our hand. Whatever an enemy does to you, it is what you allow right now. You have the power. You have the dominion. You have the authority. Why? You're sitting together with him. And if they try to overpower you, he is going to stand up for your sake. Praise God, somebody. Is anybody following what I'm talking about? This is a priesthood, the sitting priesthood, the place of power, the place of dominion, the place of authority. I am saying, if any enemy wants to override your head, you just bring them under your feet. Even if it is wrong thought, cast it down. Every imagination and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ, bring it down. To subjection to the knowledge of who? Of Christ. You are a victor. You got the victory. I mean, heaven is on your side. Hallelujah! Heaven is on your side. You are winning the war. You are winning the battle. You are getting the victory. The joy of the Lord is becoming your strength. On our side, the glory of God is come to your house. God is visiting you afresh now. In the name of Jesus Christ. I need you to understand this. Time no longer the Bible says. Meaning. You can't waste your time for anything anymore. Grab hold of what the Lord is saying. For I give you power. 
over serpents and scorpions. Because when you live here, you're going to be hearing other things coming to you. You watch TV, you're hearing other kind of messages coming to you. Don't let the Pharisees take this word from your life. And don't allow anything that will sting your feet to make you fall. The scorpion, the sting the heels. The serpent, they do not only bite, they deceive. The weapon of the serpent is deception. Anything that makes you feel you don't have the victory is a deception. Anything that makes you feel the time is not now, it's tomorrow, is a Pharisee voice. God is giving you the victory 2,000 years ago. We have been living below our potentials. The authority to deal with the enemy has been given to you. Is anybody understand what I'm talking about? Man, you got to stand up for what God has given to you. You got to stand up for what he's asked you to do. It's about time you know it. That everything you need to conquer the enemy have been released to you. Why? We're sitting together with Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right at that point, all enemies to be brought under faith. And even as you are looking at me, as you are listening to me, every enemy of sickness in your body is coming down. I said it's coming down. It belongs to your feet, under your feet. It can't be on your head anymore. All sicknesses are coming under your feet. Hallelujah. Everything that opposes God's life is coming under your feet. And the Bible says, last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. So everything that is causing death is coming under faith. Everything that is causing death is coming under faith. Because you are sitting together with Christ in heavenly places. Come on, stand up somebody. Everything that is coming, that is possessing, that is trying to weigh you down, that is opposing the life of God, is coming down right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Begin to talk to the Father. I just want you to begin to pray. Talk to the Father. Enforce your power. Enforce your authority. Enforce your dominion. You know where you belong to right now. You know you are sitting right now. You know where you are. You know who you are. Bring soap out of Santa. You know who you are. You know where you are sitting. You are sitting together with Christ in heavenly places. If the enemy is out of strength for you, Jesus is going to stand up for your sake and pass judgment upon those powers. No man, no enemy, no woman has right, has power to subdue you, to bring you down. Let your fear disappear. Let your doubt disappear. Let your unbelief disappear. God is come to give you the victory. It's time to enforce your victory. It's time to enforce your victory. For you are sitting together with Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's time to enforce your victory. Hallelujah. It's time to enforce your victory. No enemy, no power, no dominion, no authority can stand on the way of that which Christ has done.
Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.